Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Okay, my profound privilege <laughs> to introduce Emma and her team. Um, the first time I met Emma was in May 2012. Ha! Yes, it was. Um, when, when Alan, uh, I, Shola, and there's Dana and Anna Spencer crashed through your door, drunk in the Holy Spirit. We, yeah, we, by the time we climbed up the stairs to your former place, we were drunk. We crashed through your door, drunk. And I think then I gave birth in the Spirit um, pub- publicly. Yes, yes, I, I, was smelling, I was smelling Emma's feet. So obviously remembered, hopefully for the right reasons. And, and, and th- these people are so full of grace that they kept in contact with us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so amazing guys. So, so can I just introduce Emma Stark, Sarah Jane, and Sam. I don't know if you want to stand just so that they know who you are. Come on, let's give them a welcome. Thank you, Jesus. Well, it is a real joy to be with you. And uh, these two guys, Sam and Sarah Jane, travel a lot with me. They work full time, and you'll get the blessing of their prophetic words. They'll try to prophesy over as many of you at the end as they can. They're looking at me like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's news to them. Uh, We love to prophesy. Uh, And it's just a great joy. Thank you for the invitation and greetings uh, uh, from Glasgow. It's just a a joy when you find family, isn't it? When you find tribe and you find those running mates who sharpen you. And I think this is my fifth visit, though my first time in this building. Fifth visit down here uh, with my ministry hat on. And just to see the growth. And this man here, uh, who heard me prophesy? over him last night, boy, that shocked me that God was commissioning him as a regional bishop. Woo. So uh, uh, he, you are so blessed to have a man of that uh, stature uh, in this region. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before we prophesy and preach, uh, just a a couple of thoughts really uh, on the situation that you're facing with Zoe and just what we have sensed as we have prayed for you. It is very challenging to know the difference between the demonic whirlwinds and the Nahum 1 whirlwinds of God. And it is a challenge to know what do I fight against And what do I say? Well, God, you are doing some remarkable shifting in the midst of us. Because God, we know, is in whirlwinds according to his word. And we know also that Satan is. And I feel like Satan is trying to masquerade in this place as a godly whirlwind. And there there is an awful lot of change that this church is about to walk through. And that actually God is going to release, I'm going to pray for you in a moment, a spirit of wisdom and discernment so that you can navigate some extreme changes that are going to come to this place. 
and you can feel the shaking under the ground. You can feel the unsettledness in the building. It actually makes worship a challenge. It actually makes being here a challenge for some of you. And that's not because it's, it's, it's something wrong is happening. It's that God is actually shaking you to move you up a step and to move you out of this building. And he is putting a whirlwind in here because actually you will shift from this place a lot sooner than you think. And God is asking more of you than you have had an eye to see. And the Lord said to me that, that you are to reach the down and outers as well as the up and outers as I was sitting here. And, and that actually there are to be in the up and outers, those high flyers, those governmental political officials, those mayors. The Lord is saying that he's going to have gatherings of very senior folk who are not saved, who actually bizarrely come and ask to rent and use your buildings because they will feel the clarity in it for decision making. And the Lord says, I'm going to connect you with the up and outers. But the Lord says there's another group of you in the church who are to connect with the down and outers. And there is a radical change in outlook coming to this house. But I just speak to that demonic whirlwind that has you more unsettled than you should be. And I stop it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I say that is not allowed to continue anymore. And just put your hands up for me. And I loose over you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know what is God and to know what is demonic and to navigate rightly between the two, to know where to fight and to know where to partner in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And there are times in the life of a church, like the time, like this weekend, that you will talk about for years to come. When a child dies, it marks a group corporately. And there are some choices that you have to make as a family, not just those who know the family well, but everyone who is part of this body because you are family. And that choice is, will you say yes to the comfort of God corporately? Or will you let it shake and traumatize you? And do you remember when the exiles are in Babylon? And they sat and they weep by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down. Do you remember the scripture? Why are they weeping? Because they feel a great loss. And they have lost a sense of home. And they have lost so much, lost a sense of belonging, but of home. And God speaks into that in Isaiah 40. And he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And God steps into corporate pain. And his comfort to you is not like a soft pillow. It's not as weak as that. It's not like a nice blanket on top of a lumpy mattress. There is a comfort that God releases to a church that brings a sense of home to hearts in pain. 
And comfort in scripture is a forceful word. It's a strong word. It's an energetic word. It is a word that builds strength. And I want to say to you, there is a choice in the midst of your storm to let comfort reshape your imaginations in your present moment so you don't despair, but the comfort gives you a mindset of hope to be maintained. And we know that God gets this. Do you remember the hymn writer? He must have suffered the most incredible loss. How deep the pain of searing loss. Do you remember that hymn? You may need to sing that collectively. How deep the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. As wounds that mar the chosen. Oh, you'll have to help me out. Bring many sons to glory. But you know in it. That God has walked that pace, place of searing loss so he knows what sort of comfort a sore heart requires. Which is why 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Not long after my mum died, I got a blackboard in the house and I started to, to write on it a lot of the key verses associated with death and grief in scripture to train my children because there is good grief and there is bad grief. Good grief. Why do we have that expression? Because there is such a thing. And I would lay hands on my children's heart as I'm going to give this is a top tip for stewarding grief. Take heart, John 16, verse 33, for I have overcome the world. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I would lay hands on their heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And sometimes to access good grief, you have to lay hands on yourself and speak to yourself and say, Take heart, Jesus. Because I know you've overcome. So we don't just let grief wash across us. We proactively choose the place of good grief. It is in these moments in the life of a church where your theology becomes a reality. Isn't it? So, Sam, would you mind holding the end of this wire? There is a timeline, eternity stretching towards Sam. But the time you spend on this earth is not even as big as a little charger point at the end in comparison to the great length that stretches out before us. And I want you to get a mindset today where Ecclesiastes says that eternity is hidden in the hearts of men, that you have the ability to grasp the eternal as a reality, not as a theology. And so what happens is we get fixated by the nub on the end 
of however many years God chooses to let us have. And rarely do we think about all that stretches beyond. And immediately you cross over from that nub into this stretch and the expanse outside of time and into eternity. You suddenly have an eternal perspective that you don't often get when you're sitting in that first millimeter. Because you understand that the time that you have once you've crossed over till you see your loved ones again is like popping out for a coffee in Starbucks. It's so short. And yet to us, it feels like decades of pain. And yet in heaven's perspective, it's a nothing. That's why heaven doesn't grieve like that because it understands eternity. Okay? which is why when we get that, we choose to step into comfort because we do not grieve as the world grieves. We get this, okay? So that means that you have to, in points of death, start to reflect on heaven like you have never reflected on heaven before because it must be a truth that you know, not a theology that you have read. So you go to scriptures like Revelation. So what is Zoe doing today right now? Well, I would have a fair thought that she's probably walked straight into the throne room of God. Now, we know that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels, according to Revelation, in the throne room alone. She's just met, do the maths, 100 million angels on her first morning there in the throne room of God. And it has probably taken her quite some time to walk from the edge of the angel crowd to find God's throne in the middle. 100 million angels. She has met the four living creatures with four faces and six wings and eyes all over their body. And my children love that thought. Mommy, do they even have eyes in their armpits? But I would have thought a little one would have gone right up and seen looking up the eyes in the armpits. And Isaiah 6 says that the train of God's robe fills the temple. In other words, it's vast. In other words, a hundred million angels are standing on the train of God's robe that fills that room. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you what color it is. I have my own kind of sense from visiting heaven. But I would have thought that little Zoe and those that have died and gone before have probably snuggled up in it fairly soon after arriving in the heavenly realms. And did they walk to the kitchen rooms in heaven? And did they work with the cooking angels? Because the angels are often in the earth realm preparing meals. Aren't they? How many angels turn up with food? They do. So what recipes has Zoe and your other departed, like my mum, read of the heavenly cookbook because they are preparing the feast of the marriage of the Lamb to come? What smells and what tastes filter through heaven out to the worshipping saints as the angels cook in the heavenly kitchens? Wow. 
And what about that main street in heaven that says there are, le- there are trees that line it? This, is, this isn't the word of God, but suddenly it becomes something you need to know. And it talks about those trees, and it says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And it's like God goes up and he plucks a leaf off a tree, and he sends it down to the earth, and we get another healing well or a healing revival. And you can plot them all through the history of the church, the healing leaves that got sent down. Well, she gets to look at those healing leaves and goes, oh, look, there's one for Syria. Oh, look, there's one for Iran. Oh, look, that's what God's going to do in bringing healing into the nations oh look and she's talking to the angels about God's healing plan from looking at those trees and then it says that those trees bear fruit high often every month what does that taste like what does that look like what are the colors of that and then she'll go and chat to all the aborted children who are also up there And she'll say, I was blessed. I had a mom and dad who loved me. And they'll talk about how Jesus has wiped away their tears. It is no wonder that Paul writes to us, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I love the thought of Hebrews 12 that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us overthrow the sin that so easily ensnares. You know that scripture? That actually those who have gone before are so cheering us on. Therefore, therefore it says, since they are there, let us overthrow sin. That actually they have a role in our strengthened position to deal with sin. A remarkable scripture. And perhaps if I can find it on my tablet, Isaiah 57, one of the great scriptures in places of death and loss. Isaiah 57 verse 1. Do you know this one? The righteous perish. And no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away. And no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. I have seen churches lose children. And I have seen them lose their way after it, never regroup. I have seen them go back to the religious and the six-versed hymns. And you can understand the need for that because it's comforting in earthly terms. But I want to pray for you, and God doesn't get timings wrong of why we're here. I want to pray for you that the shock and the trauma would come off this house. And I don't just believe it's what happened this weekend, actually. This is a, a long line of a church in shock and trauma. And what it has done, church, is that it has shrunk your vision. 
And I cannot hardly believe that I am saying this in this house because I know you're the most radical of the churches in quite a, a wide geographical region. But the Spirit of the Lord said to me, tell them, Emma, they are far too tame. It is worrying. It is very worrying. It is, it is very worrying. Because there, there is a standard of the radical yet to be seen through you. And part of that demonic whirlwind is to shock you and traumatize you and make you partner with comfort that is earthly. That's religious comfort. Churches in pain tend to go to religion. You can understand it. But I'm laying down a godly challenge before you that you would partner with a good grief, that you would partner with a God of comfort, and that in it you would find a greater radicalness than you have yet known. Would you let me pray that for you? Could you stand? Father, the righteous do perish. And we just speak out those words of Isaiah 57 that we do not understand why the righteous are taken. From my mom to your friends to your family members, God, we don't get it. But Father, we now say yes to your comfort. Just put your hands out for me, my family. We say yes, and by the opening of our hands, it is an acknowledgement before God that we are not going to go to the comfort of the world, but we are going to go to the comfort of the word. And in the name of Jesus, I loose over you the grace of godly comfort. Let it be a strength. Let it be an energy. Let the comfort come and build you. And just let it land right now on your thinking. And in the name of Jesus, I banish your despair and I loose over you a hope-filled comfort in the mighty name of Jesus that you would truly model that Thessalonian scripture that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And so I speak to the spirits of shock and trauma. And in the name of Jesus, I banish them from this house. And in the name of Jesus, I banish religiosity and a desire to go back. And in Jesus' mighty name, I loose a radical spirit that grabs hold of what has happened. And it starts to shift forward in the mighty name of Jesus. So I think what God is saying to you is in the conversations in the days ahead, you're going to have to lovingly squeeze each other's shoulders and say, that's backward thinking. 
You're going to have to hold yourselves to account so that you do not join the long list of churches that Satan came to at a crossroad moment and you took the road behind rather than the road ahead because you are at one of the most phenomenal crossroads. The Spirit of the Lord says this is a time, church, when you get to choose a heavenly perspective like you've never chosen. When you fix your gaze on the unseen realm and when you choose to believe what is behind the veil rather than what is in front of you. For doesn't Paul tell us that what is under our feet, what is uh, under our hands and what even the air that we breathe is temporary. It's temporal. It is not eternal. For the Lord says, sons and daughters, look to the eternal perspective and allow me to take you up higher and allow me to pull you even in this deep place of comfort and hope. And as you raise your eyes up from off the ground, the Lord says, I will propel you forward and I will take you higher. And I see it almost like a chain of people. You know, as Alan, as you lead and as you take each other's hands like a human chain, that you pull one another up to that place that is higher in the spirit, that higher perspective that the Lord not just wants you to have, but he says, but I need you, church, to have it because you are the ones who have that regional remit to bring shift and transformation. So the Lord says, don't allow your feet to get stuck on the ground in grief and do not allow your feet, he says, to get stuck on the ground in things that are dead and dying, but allow me to take you up higher and give you a heavenly perspective. And that is not just a temporary thing either. The Lord wants you to reside in that high spiritual realm, that place that is thin, that place that is giving you a strategy and solution, and that place that is giving you um, by and of his spirit solutions for this earth. For the Lord says, not just the leaders that are in this house that are obvious leaders, even those of you who already have your own uh, earthly ministries, but the Lord says, those of you here, I have already put supernatural seeds in that I want to see planted. And the Lord says, they will not be scattered unless you come up high in that place of the Spirit. They will not fall to the ground unless you come up high. So the Lord says, allow what is dead to die and come up with me. Come up into the realms of the Spirit that I have prepared for you. The Lord says it is not just about the angels ascending and descending, but it's about you also ascending and living in that Spirit realm place that I have prepared for you. The Lord says, Church of the Bay, I have prepared a specific area for you in the heavenly realms and I have given you a perspective that will show you the region and that will give you a strategy for the region both individual ministries and also of the church but the Lord says you need to come together so we lose that again as we did at the weekend we lose that as one anointing that John 17 anointing on you as a church and we lasso you in the spirit and we say not one of you will be left on the ground not one of you will be left young or old and you will all come up you will come up you will come up and you'll reside in that high level spiritual plane that the Lord has prepared for you and I just hear the Lord say I need you to give yourself permission to go deep and to feel my deep comfort I need you no longer to resist it 
or to step back from it. And the Lord says that I am establishing in you a good balance and a good tension in your emotions and in your ability to process your emotions and in your feelings. For the Lord says to feel pain is not something negative. It is how you process pain, says the Lord. And the Lord says, I need you to give yourself permission to feel my deep comfort. And he says, do not resist it. For God says to you, church, that as you feel comfort individually and as you feel comfort corporately, the Lord says that that will catch you up into new revelation and into a new ability to be radical for your next season. And actually, the Lord says that you are in a tipping point. You're in a pivot moment, says the Lord. And the Lord says how you process this will define you moving forward. And the Lord says this to you, give yourself permission to feel my deep comfort. Give yourself permission to come into my balance, not your balance, my emotional balance and my emotional ability to steward your feelings, says God. For you're at a tipping point and you're at a pivot moment, says the Lord Bay Church. Thank you, Father. Did you just have a seat, family, for me? There's a lot of uh, research done uh, on church growth, and the standard uh, thought process is that most churches, led by one man, uh, tend to cap at about 80, because relationships become too challenging for one man to deal with after about 80. Particularly gifted leaders can take a church to 120. Now, that should give you some understanding why we have a lot of churches that only ever get to 120. It's just not possible for one man to do more than that. But the Lord is asking for this to be a church of weight and of size. God wants to give you an auditorium. It is very close to here geographically. It is less than one mile from this building. That There is even a building project that God is going to have you do that builds an auditorium of four to 500. But it is going to fundamentally change your leadership structure. And we know that it doesn't even take a prophet to understand that that's how how growth works. But the Spirit of the Lord is saying this, that it is time to change your expectation from Alan and his wife. It is time to change what you want from them and what you need from them in this hour. For the Lord says there is going to be such an apostolic regional bishop anointing on him that you are going to have to demand less of him in old-fashioned ways and start to demand more of some of the leadership team. And the Spirit of the Lord says, bless him to fly. Don't catch his heels and pull him down into the minutiae. For for the Spirit of the Lord says, you will cap your regional impact if you do not bless him to fly. And he actually is being called by God to a lot of international travel. And there will be periods of time where you do not see him, for he is going to get what this region needs from the uh, other nations in the world to bring back to you. And the Spirit of the Lord says, son, get the passport ready, get the suitcase packed, for there, this is a season of itineration in the earth. And the Lord says, you have done enough to trust those to your left and your right that you have raised up. Will they make some major mistakes? Yes, 
they will, but the spirit that you will, but the spirit of the Lord says that is part of the process of growth that I have for this house. And the Lord says it is never that you will have no oxen in the stall, but you will always be cleaning up a mess, says the Lord. And it's just people. That's the, that's the scriptures. And so we just, we just bless you to go where you need to go. And you will need to say that to him. I bless you to go. I bless you to go. And the spirit, the spirit of the Lord says, I will put your spirit on your church leaders. And the Lord says, there are even teenagers in this place that will come into senior leadership roles that will shock you. But the Lord says to you, would you drop your jealousy? And when you let the teenagers lead church so that there can be a spirit of replication and strength to your army, says the Lord. Ooh, good. Now, I don't know how you would define being charismatic. Wave at me if you think you're charismatic. <laughs> it's a good thing it's a bad thing. Which way is that going? Okay. The Wikipedia definition of charismatic, because uh, Wikipedia knows all things, uh, also known as spirit-filled Christianity, is a form of Christianity that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, and modern-day miracles as an everyday part of the believer's life. So probably most of us in the room would say, by that definition, yes, I'm probably charismatic. Now, R.T. Kendall, one of the great scholars and theologians of our age, has written a book called Prepare Your Heart for the Midnight Cry. And he shockingly, and perhaps he is the only man who could get away with it, says this, the charismatic movement of the last 100 years is an Ishmael and not an Isaac. Oh, and shockingly, as that thought percolates, it is very easy to be highly offended. Hang on a moment, R.T. Kendall. Ishmael was definitely second best. He was not the real thing. He's the poor substitute for Isaac. Ishmael was birthed when Abraham and Sarah were not handling the whole waiting for God very well. Ishmael was man-made and it was, he was not God-breathed. Ishmael wasn't the real deal and he certainly wasn't the promise fulfilled. Have we had an Ishmael version of church? It would be hard to claim that what you have right now in this building is on the earth the intense glory of God that you'd hoped for. Did anyone pray for somebody sick in the last month and not see them healed? Were the rest of you having a 100% rate or were you just not even bothering to pray for the sick? Which was it? <laughs> How do you feel about that? It's just devastating, isn't it? It is time to expect the Isaac. It is time to expect the son of promise. It is time to expect a new level of deep authenticity and fulfillment. The God-breathed promise of what you hoped the church could be and should be and what you read in the word. In other words, it is time to expect and to contend for a far greater move of the spirit than you have ever had. And the best is yet to come. And I want to say to you that Isaac is on its way. And what is now is a second-rate, pale, imitate, 
imitation of the real deal and it is littered with the religious and it is littered with the man-made in comparison to where you are going. And the great problem for churches like I lead and churches like Alan leads who are seen as fringe and wacky and nearly cult in some people's books because we do pastor churches like that. The great problem is that we fall into that scripture that says those who have tasted the old wine struggle to take the new wine. And we think, oh, well, that applies to the Baptists. We do. That applies to the Methodists. But actually that scripture applies to every person. God just doesn't delete it and say, oh, you charismatics don't need to worry about that scripture. We are just as likely to, to walk away from the next move of God as the Baptists are walking to where we have got. So this sermon kind of comes from the heart of his frustrated pioneer. Do you know, if you're a settler type person, God has blessed a number of people as settlers. Really, this is not for you. And this comes from a heart that I, I have looked at how I spend my time and I am just deeply dissatisfied. And these moments circle around every so often in my life and maybe because I've had a little bit more time for soul searching because my very healthy and handsome husband, he's 41, a fit, healthy guy, spent most of uh, January in hospital and nearly lost his uh, life at the beginning of the year and is still uh, on a, a journey back to full health with heart attack and pneumonia. And we've been on the road much less because of it. Perhaps because we've just audited Healing Rooms Scotland and Ireland, which we run, and seen volunteer after volunteer faithfully hanging on, uh, expecting to see the power of God in the way that they've dreamed, but never actually seeing anybody healed over decades of prayer. And perhaps because we've just got a new building in Glasgow City Centre, and I'm looking at room allocation and how we're going to spend our time there. And because perhaps my mum has been dead just over a year, and that immediate shock and trauma gives way to a much deeper thinking about what would a successful life look like and how do I best measure what I do and how do I make sure that I have a legacy in the land that is good so I can come in line with the Psalms when he says that one generation tells of your deeds to another. And perhaps the one who I follow, my King Jesus, has allowed a perfect storm in all of our lives because he perhaps knows you and I better than we know ourselves, and he understands our own hearts. And perhaps he has put and facilitated a deep concern in all of us that what we have now is not what we're supposed to have. You see, I can have biblical input every day. And I can sing a worship song every day as we do on a loop, but my household can still have frantic, ungodly rhythms. I can hum the tune to a dark kingdom under my breath when in my head I'm singing a worship song of the need to do things or produce things or consume things where it's all about doing and having. And I can have Bible verses as I do written on every wall of my home yet have unspoken rituals that reinforce my self-centeredness rather than my self-sacrifice. And I can talk to Jesus as I do all day long 
about my world and about serious things, yet miss a heart-to-heart connection because we are problem-solving together, he and I, and our conversation ends up looking like work colleagues. It's the great problem of full-time ministry. And I have a sneaky suspicion that when I thought I was harmonizing with Jesus, when I thought I was singing the songs of the king, I was more often out of tune and dissonant than I had an eye to see. That my routines were not as closely of his kingdom as they should be. But more accurately, my routine was not in line with the call of God on my life. That my routines and how I was skinning my diary was not in line with the anointing that I had been given. And if you have found yourself in a place where people are celebrating you, where people are saying something nice about you, I want to suggest to you that something has gone horribly wrong because the anointing that you carry is supposed to be an offense and the anointing that you carry is supposed to challenge the status quo. It's supposed to show the unrestrained glory of God which should press every button and not receive warm applause. And if everybody likes you, you have failed spiritually. It's time to take an audit of daily routines. And I, I'm really, you've got to stay with me. Tell your neighbor you need to hear this. It's time to take an audit of your daily routines. And I don't mean the obvious sin and the failure so that you can keep repenting for what you've already repented of quite a lot. That's not what I mean. Do you know that prayer you go, I'm so sorry that I did that for the 26th time. And God says, what on earth are you talking about? I put that away as far as the east is from the west the first time you mentioned it. I am talking about building patterns and choices because what I choose day to day will shape who I will become. I am never doing something neutral with no effect. I am always choosing right now how my life will look many months from now. I am always framing my future with my choices today. So how we plan our days will either build us into the likeness of Jesus or it will build us into the image of another kingdom. So if I am frustrated by the lack of God's power in my life, if I am annoyed that I do not see the miracles that I read about, if I am a frustrated pioneer and I don't feel very radical, if the trajectory that I thought I had put my life on to see the kingdom of God come in the earth has horribly plateaued, if I feel under an Ishmael cloud where everything is a pale reflection of what it should be, what on earth did I do a few months ago that took me away from that place that I should have landed? What pattern did we put in our churches if we as leaders have made our corporate culture tepid and dilute where it sounds good but it is highly ineffective? Let's maybe make it a little bit kinder, shall we? 
If I'm a trailblazer like you, if I'm a pioneer who sees the dead raise the lame walk the blind see, if I'm a radical Jesus person who doesn't want to wake up one morning and find their old wine, what do I need to do right now that will build me into that place? David Foster tells this parable. There were two young fish swimming along and they meet an older fish swimming the other way. And the old fish nods and smiles. Morning, boys, he says. How's the water? <laughs> and the two young fish swim on for a bit. And eventually one of them looks at the other and says, What on earth is water? <laughs> and I think the water you and I swim in is more tepid. And we haven't even seen it. When did you last do something radical? And the time before that? And the time before that? I have to journey into the radical every day. And some of us are so deluded because we made one radical choice way back then and we think it makes us radical right now. I journey the radical every day. I choose the power of God as something that I am daily dependent on. How does an alcoholic get to be an alcoholic? He doesn't wake up one day and say, today I'm an alcoholic. It is a habit of drinking that they put in place. It is repeat behavior. It also works in reverse. No one wakes up one day and says, I'm not an addict anymore. They don't decide on a whim. After years of addiction, day by day by day, they work out the choice to be free. There would be no need for AA if we could simply think ourselves in and out of our routines. I cannot think myself into being free. I walk it out. I cannot think myself into being radical. I walk it out. I cannot think myself into being one in whom the power of God's rests. I walk it out. I cannot think myself into being a presence carrier. I walk it out. It is why Philippians says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I don't need another supernatural school to make better decisions I come on we are so fat on training schools I need more than education and information I need to create radical habits to become a radical person and just because you have supernatural schools and wild worship in a corporate place has not made you a radical church. It's made you people who know how to have a radical service. That is very different. There's a consistent process to be radical. Don't be deceived. I love the story of Peter's shadow. You know, the sense that he's emitting this radical glory, that glory wasn't contained inside of him and it falls on the sick, his shadow, and they get gloriously healed. 
Do you know, you and I, all of a circle, and we're giving out all the time. We're emitting colors and hues and emotions in our circle constantly. And I know who I need to go to when I need a prophetic word. I go to my boss, Dr. Sharon Stone, because she is so consistently, radically prophetic that in her circle, it oozes out of her. And sometimes I just need to stand near to her and I come into a moment of revelation because she stirs it. She doesn't even need to open her mouth. It's like the other day when she's in a meeting in her house and her tech guy rings her on the phone and says, Sharon, I've just had your laptop in, in for repair with a shop down the street and he's lost a key component of your laptop and she shouts out down the phone tell him he accidentally put that bit in the bin yesterday and he'll find part of my computer there and it wasn't even that she thought about prophesying of course the bit of computer was in the bin it was so consistently familiar that she just oozed it everywhere she goes yeah. 1 John 4 verse 4 he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world do you know, when I was a university student, I remember seeing my first demonically possessed person. And he was sitting in, uh, in, on my bed in halls of residence. Um, and I'm challenging him about listening to death music, mega death music as it was. And that that wasn't a very good thing for him to be doing, to fill his head with that. Well, his eyes started to glow demonically red. I was so freaked out. I am off my chair, I am hurtling down the corridor to the corporate kitchen, and I'm in the kitchen going, oh my goodness, I'm in the kitchen, and he's in my bedroom. How am I going to fix this? And I'm going, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I remember it very clearly. And let me tell you, if I actually really believed that, I would have stayed exactly where I was. My circle, what I emit, should be the most spiritually dominant circle in any situation. So let's take a conversation when you're sharing Jesus with an atheist. My spirit should carry truth in such a dominant form that actually it starts to shut down the atheist's demons so that through the conversation, he is coming or she is coming into revelation of truth, even if the language in the conversation is aggressive and militantly against me. But the spiritual dynamic is actually leading him into a place where he can choose Jesus. That is why it should be really easy to get atheists saved. All I have to do is stand in their zone and their demons flee. But the practice is that doesn't happen, does it? We have not got used to being radical enough and unrestrained carriers of glory enough that that kind of situation happens. I've had people on a bus, I'm sorry, I'm mindful of time, am I okay for 10 minutes or can I land this? What time? 12? Okay, bring it in. I think some of them already did. Uh, yes. I want to leave you with a couple of habits that I think you need to work on to narrow the gap between your thought that you're radical 
and the action that will make you radical. I want to be practical here for a moment. Because your habit will not get handed to you on a plate. You're going to have to put in some radically outrageous habits. And we're in Genesis for this. And it's that scripture that says, I made in the image of God. Just say it out loud. I made in the image of God. I made in the image of God. And that means that I have been made to carry authorized power that I can rule and reign in the earth. And every time I turn up, I am carrying a powerful force that explodes from within me rather than just my own humanity. And I want to say your first top tip is that you have to get into a habit of meditation of saying, I am made in the image of God. It is your set up truth for radical living. It is why it was put in the first chapter of the Bible. That actually if I say that over and over, I'm made in the image of God, I'm made in the image of God, it will heal some of your self-esteem issues and your pain and you will not need to spend years in counseling and deeper healing because you will get immediately who you are. I'm made in the image of God. Second deeper, uh, second top tip is that creation is good, but it's not complete. In other words, creation didn't come to us with an an iPhone or an art gallery or a nice car or a school, that God has given us the ability to unpack creation. And Tolkien, writer of Lord of the Rings, calls this sub-creator. Say to your neighbor, you are a sub-creator. In other words, there are new communication techniques, there are new designs for church buildings, there are new scientific inventions, there are new administrative strategies, there are new ways of doing life on the earth. And the second top tip is you need to get into the habit of saying to God, what do you and I need to create today? How am I going to be a sub-creator? Because if you do not give that daydream space, you will not hear what else needs to be released into the earth. Now, a radical church, as I said, is not just a church with a radical service. It's a church with radical sub-created solutions. And so that has to mean that some of you say, I am going to have a solution for a ministry that is going to deal with poverty and hunger in this region. And you're going to sub-create the outworking of that. I'm going to sub-create the most whizzy shepherding counseling center that the world has ever seen with the glory of God. If you always just rush through life and don't give the daydream sub-create space with God, you will just keep doing what you've always kept doing and you will lag behind where the grace of God wants to be in the earth. So I'm made in the image of God. I'm a sub-creator. Find the space. And the final and third point, and with this I will close, is that you have got to occupy creation. You're not in the Garden of Eden anymore with safe-to-find boundaries. You're a peculiar people in a strange land. 
So I show up in the world and I don't hide away in holy huddles. I live my life as a testimony of the kingdom that is coming. I love my life with the kingdom pouring out of me. And everything that emits from me and my circle is a foretaste of a holy city with its powers and its love and its priorities. One professor in the University of Virginia sums this up as faithful presence. I need to have a faithful presence in the world as a standard. If I do not turn up with a faithful presence, it will not change. And I think we understood some concepts of of faithfulness and we didn't turn up with the presence or we understood concepts of presence, but we didn't actually repeatedly show up in people's lives. And so God is saying, look, you have to join those together. You have to be faithfully present in the earth. I don't take myself away to live in a Christian-only city. I don't have a Christian-only passport. I don't live in a Christian-only country. I don't have Christian dress. I don't have Christian-only language because if I wanted all those things, I would be a Muslim. I turn up faithfully. So my top tip Finally, for faithful presence is this. I must get into the habit of praying for the power of God in my life every day. How many of you say, God, I want to manifest your power today? Every day. How many people say that every day? Three. Because actually, what does Acts 1 verse 8 say to us? You will receive what when the Holy Spirit comes? Power. Okay? It doesn't say you will receive tongues. It says you will receive power. And so we have made the Holy Spirit about flouncing around. We have flouncing around rather than demonstrations of power. Now, I don't mind the occasional wafting around in the Spirit, but I mind if you cannot back that up with power. Because actually, the Holy Spirit isn't a wafter. He's not. He's a power-filled force. I have a whole sermon on that, but anyway. So I have to get into the habit of praying for the power of God and in my life because I will not have the power of God when raising the dead and I will not have the power of God in healing the sick and I will not have the power of God in opening blind eyes if I have only contended for it in a public ministry session. If it is not a private habit, it will not turn up in the public place. It's like I said to you, those who were there last night. If I do not have a personal habit of worship in the private place where I'm contending for his power and I'm seeing who he is and I see the image that I made in and I'm doing that with him alone, I will not have that in corporate worship. And you can go to many churches, and mercifully your church wasn't like this, but you can go to many churches and you can see that they don't have private worship lives because their worship displays corporate powerlessness. Oh, God may be compassionate, but actually, 
I have to radically, faithfully, privately contend for his power and his presence so that it is normal every day and it is not my last resort in any situation. And the Lord is saying to you, you have done a phenomenally good job. You've got to hear that. You've done a phenomenally good job. And Alan has led you with great clarity and with great success. But there is a moment that you have to choose, obey church. Are you going to stay as you are or is there going to be a cutting edge and radical way that comes in some of your habits where you know what it is to know that you are in the image of God, where you know what it is that needs to come forth from you because you have daydreamed about sub-creation and where you have contended for faithful, power-filled presence by asking every day that his power would come into your life. Our best choice right now would be to habitualize radicalness. Let's stand. Oh, Father, I thank you for this family, and I thank you for this people, and I thank you for bringing them to the earth collectively in this season. Father, I thank you for the plan that you have for them to start not to just have regional change, but national change. I thank you for the plan that you've got for Alan, that he's going to crisscross the world, and he's going to loose what the Spirit of God has given him of the supernatural. But Father, right now, we are contending, Father, for mercy, because we have privately gone to sleep yet publicly tried to keep a face of the radical and Father God I ask for mercy where behind closed doors my private habits were not good enough to be trusted with your weight of glory Father, have mercy where my busyness got in the way. God, have mercy where I talk to you like a work colleague and not a power-filled magisterial king on the throne. God, have mercy. Have mercy when I squeeze things down to God, oh, just bring this solution rather than actually seeing that I was the solution and that actually I needed to ask for power rather than shoving back onto your throne what you had already asked me to do. Oh, God, have mercy. And Lord, in this moment, I ask for this family here that you would release a fresh fire, that you would release a fresh burning. Father, that you would give into this house the ability to be sustained in their radicalness. Father, that there would come such a burning like Isaiah had in Isaiah 6, that it sustained his ministry for decades, that you would come with that sort of mark, that they would start to be the pe people like Paul was who denies Jesus and yet in the pages after is so compelled that he cannot stop speaking because he has met with the fire of God. Yes. 
I speak to that Ishmael spirit that wants to keep you pale and I banish it from this house in the mighty name of Jesus and I make a decree as a prophet over you that you will be a first fruit Isaac church that you will be a first fruit Isaac church that you will know what it is to model the son of promise where the fulfillment of the power of God comes and fills all things in all ways as Ephesians tells us father this building is second rate and second best. It is an Ishmael building. And so, Father, we just pull down from the heavenlies the Isaac building that you want for them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We call into place the Isaac leaders and we say, come up, come up, come up, come up. Take off the clothes of Ishmael and come and lead as, pro as the leaders that is needed in this house in the mighty name of Jesus. So, Father, would you burn them? Would you burn them? Would you burn them? Would you burn them? Would you burn them for sustained radical living in Jesus' mighty name? unrestrained glory, uncontainable glory, compelling glory. You got to want it. There is a, a, a waterfall of liquid fire just coming into the room and it's not a kind of a yee-haw, let's get Holy Ghost drunk in the fire. And yes, you might get Holy Ghost drunk in the fire, but this is a, a burning that God wants to do. Like when you read Isaiah 6, when he was compelled by the awe and the wonder of the glory and the holiness of who God is. And he said, would you make me clean and will you burn me again? And there's this rolling uh, waterfall of fire that is a corporate thing because God wants to burn you and make you the radical burning ones. And that is a personal thing. And like Emma said at the beginning, really, actually, now is your time to leave this building and leave this church. If you do not want to be part of this glory burning movement that God wants to do in the midst of you as a, as a corporate body. It requires an individual response that says, yes, God. And this is for you, children. This is for you, children, as well as the adults. This is especially for you, children, because you're the ones who get to take this legacy to the next place. That sense of God wanting to burn you corporately and mark you corporately as a house of burning ones, as a house of those who burn. And this burning comes when you say, yes, God, the vision that we have for the church corporately and the vision that we have even for a building, Alan, is not big enough. 
And the Lord is saying three times, three times, three times, three times, three times, three times bigger, three times, three times, three times money that you're thinking you need, three times, three times, three times bigger in number of people and area. And the Lord says, this is why I've not allowed you to get your building because the Lord says there is some work to be done in expanding you individually and corporately in my fire. Fire expands and God wants to expand your thinking he wants to expand your dreams. He wants to expand you children, even in your dreams in the night. And he wants to expand your capacity. So God, we pray for that fire to come on those ones that want to be expanded. That want to be burning ones for you, God. Not just for a day. Not just for a half hour tickle time. But for a life of burning radicalness that does not go out, that does not diminish, that does not stop, but increases and sets the land on fire and sets the region on fire and sets the church on fire. And the Lord says, yes, there have been voices that have been raised against you. And yes, they have been members, even God says, of your own family. But I have caused you to be those set apart and to choose radicalness. There will be joy. But there will also be challenges. But the Lord says, choose to be burned, radical ones. And I hear the Spirit of God say, I am burning your formulas, and I am burning the schedules and the rotas that you've even established in your own minds. And the Lord says, I am burning where you have even unintentionally engaged with a religious spirit because of you, your reactions or your perceptions that I must do things the same way that I've always done things. And the Spirit of God says, I am burning your formulas. I am burning your internal routines and your internal cultures. And where you have not realized that you've engaged even with that religious spirit, the Lord says, I am now giving you grace and I am giving you burning so that I can unravel and disentangle you from that. And some of you might just need to say, I'm sorry that I have consistently approached worship in the same way with the same expectations that I've always done. I'm sorry that I've approached your presence in the same way that I've always done. I'm sorry that I've approached church or life in the same way that I've always done because unintentionally I'm sorry that I've welcomed even a religious spirit. The Lord says, I am burning your formulas. I am burning your formulas, says God. And the Lord says, as I do so, you will step in to what it truly means to be cutting edge. For I am burning your formulas. I think we come to the place where we acknowledge that we need more than human effort. Because if your human effort had been enough, it would have got you there. If you'd known what to do, you would have done it by now. <laughs> Applies to us all. But actually, there is a baptism of fire that comes, like I said when I was praying earlier, that comes to those even who like... Uh, 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 
Peter, sorry, Peter who denies Christ, that fundamentally changed the structure of a man. So where his own fear and his own pain lets him hear the, the cockerel crow in his denying. Suddenly, the fire of God touches him, and then he's locked up because he won't shut up. So I do want to just welcome those of you who are able just to come forward, and we'll just lay hands on you for um, a baptism of fire, if you want. It's, it's only if you. It's only if you want. It's. Oh. Okay. Uh. So I think I'm gonna. That looks like all of you there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're they're moving some chairs. They're, yeah, they're moving some chairs. Sam, yeah, you, Sam, you sort that while we while we minister. I just am so aware of the smile of the Father on you because you've already had to make some fairly significant decisions. But this is a decision that will set your trajectory for decades. Now, what do you expect and what will I pray? I will pray. I release the baptism of fire as we lay hands on you, exploding, consuming fire, all right? That's what I'll pray. This is, this is not like a little tongue. This is a lightning strike. So that you have to know that when you ask for this, you're really asking to be electrocuted by God. Because actually the, the words in, in Acts 1 and 2 when you investigate them, are words like the Holy Spirit comes with a force in the original text and that he strikes with lightning. It's not, a, it's not a tongue of fire, it's a tongue of lightning. Did you know that? That's the original translation. So you, this will change you fundamentally. Okay? So let's just open our hands and I'm going to pray corporately, and the team are just going to start running up and down the lines. Just start. In the name of Jesus, I loose a corporate baptism of fire on this house in the mighty name of Jesus. The fire that sustains, the fire that burns, the explosive consuming baptism of fire right now in the mighty name of Jesus.